terrific. No, come here. It's okay. It's okay. I got something to tell you. Yeah. No, no, no. It's cool. Hey, listen. You new here? Uh huh. You new here, huh? Uh huh. Uh huh. Where you from? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, listen. You know what's going on around here? You don't. You don't. Yeah. That's sure. Cause ain't nothing going on. Ain't nothing. Uh uh-uh, uh. Nothing going on around here. Nothing. Unless you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, 88.3. That's the only thing happening here. The only thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll see you, kid. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Yeah. Hey. Hey, kid. Kid. Look out. Look out. Look out. The- oh. Yeah. Oh. This is a cornball culture, and we need to face the music. Thursday nights at 7, our Wolf Arf and a cast of thousands conduct a never-ending search for alternative national anthems. Embrace the corn. Face the music. Thursday night at 7 on Radio Free Ann Arbor, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 on the extreme left of your dial. from the holidays I think of a football game on right now I don't think I've ever rooted for Ohio State but I guess if they're playing uh, Notre Dame you got to root for the uh, Buckeyes keep it in the Big Ten and uh, the officiating does not resemble the Alamo Bowl anyway uh, back to uh, our usual fare down here on Gray Matters I'm not too big on uh, best of uh, stories of the year, that type of thing, so I always like to look forward instead of backward, as uh, so many reactionaries in America do. To the but, past that never really was. Yeah, the nostalgic past. In fact, it's uh, amazing to even see pioneer history being uh, reviewed <laughs> regarding uh, such uh, great uh, myths as Thanksgiving and etc. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, let's give uh, President Bush yet another brain damage award. Uh, he made the incredible statement the other day, yesterday, today. The people elected me to keep them safe. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing uh, President Bush has done under his tenure. And uh, yeah, I, hardly what we do in, in our presidential elections. Yeah, there's any number of ways uh to deconstruct that comment, uh, I've got this from today's New York Times. Yeah, this is the actual language. I was elected to protect the American people from harm 
And on September 11, 2001, our nation was attacked. Well, okay, if you accept on its face the fairly ridiculous claim that he was elected to protect the American people from harm, then clearly he failed catastrophically on September 11, 2001. He should be removed. When increasing amounts of evidence show that there are many, many unanswered questions about the events of that uh, ill-fated day, uh, just a ludicrous assertion. He also spoke uh, in this same article by uh, Eric Lichtblau about, in defense of this uh, domestic spying program, that the eavesdropping was, quote, limited to calls from outside the United States to calls within the United States. Well, I'm not really sure what that even means. Uh, again, here's a president famous for his inability to articulate uh, even simple ideas, but uh, this statement is essentially meaningless. Uh, limited to calls from outside the United States to calls within the United States. There are no limits in that spectrum. Well, and I think what's obvious about the eavesdropping uh, story, and certainly that was one of the more interesting revelations of the year uh, regarding uh, journalism's uh, role in our society, is there needs to be an investigation into what the truth really is. Uh, as uh, <laughs> the press secretary for Richard Nixon once said, the previous statements by the president are inoperative. And I think that that's been one of the themes of the Bush presidency throughout uh, many uh, of his statements become inoperative after the truth finally emerges. And, of course, um, even on its face, uh, the Bush administration has violated the FISA law of 1978. Right. Um, they can make their arguments regarding the constitutionality of what they did. Unfortunately, he won't be impeached. But uh, it's interesting to quote uh, from... Uh, H. Robert E. Jackson, the U.S. prosecutor at Nuremberg, former member of the United States Supreme Court, when he stated, to initiate a war of aggression, therefore, is not only an international crime, it is the supreme international crime, differing only from other war crimes, in that it contains within itself the accumulated evil of the whole. If certain acts in violation of treaties are crimes... They are crimes whether the United States does them or whether Germany does them. And we are not prepared to lay down a rule of criminal conduct against others, which we would not be willing to have invoked against us. Spoken at Nuremberg by a former member of the Supreme Court, who, of course, presided over the Nuremberg trials post-World War II, uh, in which... Uh, well, the top surviving brass of the Nazi regime um, was held accountable, so to speak, for crimes against humanity, among other things. But, I mean, no matter what one's own uh, you know, family history or individual spiritual background may be, that statement that you just read is as clear and honest uh, a philosophical definition of what justice really is um, than any sort of quasi-argument that uh, the Bush administration uh, has lobbed out there uh, in the past couple of years. And interestingly, just quickly on the war, uh, which, you know, for hopeful reasons has subsided just a little bit over the, the past month, uh, though the American death toll has hardly changed, it's interesting that yesterday's uh, New York Times 
in an article by Dexter Filkins, points out that at least 844 American service members were killed in Iraq in 2005, nearly matching the 2004 total of 848. Just today they published the names of three more. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are almost identical, uh, which, of course, um, I think uh, (laughs) verifies the falsity of... Dick Cheney's uh, previous inoperative statements that the uh, insurgencies in the uh, are in its last throes, or any of Bush's uh, ridiculous comments that progress is being made in Iraq. Certainly, on the face of it, there has been superficial proge- uh, progress, but it's quite interesting that now, uh, almost three weeks after these so-called elections in Iraq, we still don't know the results. <laughs> but what we've been told. Um, certainly does not bode well for America's uh, future in the region. And uh, I've just been uh, finishing up a book uh, uh, entitled uh, Losing Iraq um, by uh, a former member of the uh, (laughs) United States government, David Phillips, uh, who worked in the State Department and uh, essentially worked with Iraqi opposition groups uh, before the actual war uh, started. And I think he goes into the uh, sordid details. He eventually resigned from the government, by the way, um, in uh, the fall of, of uh, 2003, uh, because, as he put it, the future of Iraq project uh, was being ignored. And he details how the um, there actually was a plan for post-war um, Occupation, so to speak, uh, but it was uh, conveniently ignored and sort of subsumed into the uh, office of the Department of Defense, i.e. Donald Rumsfeld, where Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld have (coughs) run roughshod uh, over uh, American law, international law, as well as uh, the practical aspects of occupying. And by the way, I would just uh, advise uh, that, that that's a book uh, well worth uh, reading just because it's a sort of a mainstream um, perspective on the uh, failures of the post-war planning, etc. Um, he does note, by the way, uh, and I'll just quote this. He says, I believe that the Bush administration to dis- uh, decided to remove Saddam Hussein uh, through force uh, when his uh, advisors met in a national security meeting at Crawford uh, in on the day of uh, the 21st of August 2002. Um, this would also uh, underscore the falsity of Bush's previous statements that he had never made up his mind. But there's a very interesting article in uh, the most recent edition of the New York Review of Books, The Mirage of Empire by John Gray, in which he reviews two uh, relatively... Um, shall we say, neoconservative writer's perspective on the role of America regarding uh, imperialism. And he talks about the inherent problems with America's approach to imperialism and uh, the comparison between American imperialism today uh, compared to European uh, imperialism of uh, pre-1945 to... uh, the entire 19th century and how the Europeans approached it. And uh, there are many interesting observations in which he reviews uh, a Robert Kaplan book 
uh, entitled Imperial Grunts, the American Military on the Ground. Kaplan uh, is a uh, prominent writer for the Atlantic Monthly over the past decade in which he talks about this um, role that he sees the United States performing in the future uh, regarding um, our sort of destiny um, to uh, lead the world through this uh, sort of modified British imperialism, which uh, I think is uh, ill-conceived. A doomed venture. Uh, and poorly um, proven because America just is incapable of understanding. Um, for instance, in this article, I'll just quote one little paragraph uh, by John Gray. He writes, there's a larger difference between the role of the American military today and that of the European armed forces in the colonial area. European imperialism was an exercise in state building, and the military forces of the colonial powers usually worked within the guidelines framed with the aim of advancing long-term political objectives. In contrast, U.S. forces view themselves and are seen by others as transients, and they often act without well-defined political goals. And I think that we've seen this uh, critique uh, in the mainstream political body of the American Congress regarding um, the Bush administration's approach in Iraq. Um, I think that Carl Levin, our senator from Michigan, has been very eloquent in talking about the political problems uh, that the Bush administration is so unwilling to confront. And uh, as we have noted down here before, it's quite obvious from these elections that uh, there will be some sort of Shiite uh, coalition government, which hopefully will tell America to leave. Not that uh, they will be listening any more clearly, but yeah, all the the results that are known or that are trickling in from the uh, elections there are that people are voting along sectarian ethnic lines. And of course, this was uh, another thing that was predicted by those who were skeptical or outright against the war from the beginning. Um, just a quote here from uh, Scott McLennan, the uh, White House press secretary here, uh, in regards to your use of the uh, great Nixonian uh, euphemism, inoperative statements. Uh, Scott McClellan, speaking uh, to the press, of course, said, when asked if Dick Cheney always tells the truth to the public, a loaded question to be sure, McClellan replied, yes, frankly, I think it's a ridiculous question. The vice president, like the president, is a straightforward, plain-spoken person. Well, Dick Cheney may be a plain-spoken person. Uh, I'm sure some listeners will recall his F.U. remark uh, uttered with an earshot of microphones at a political convention. But uh, straightforward, hardly. He is a man who lurks in secrecy pretty much uh, every waking hour, making random um, brief appearances. Of course, Bubble Boy himself is back in Crawford for, uh, obviously, everybody takes a family break, a holiday break around this time. But uh, I read recently that he's been on vacation for about an entire year, over 350 days of vacation. Well, that's why we elected him, to keep, <laughs> keep us safe. At least that shows that uh, maybe the less he's on the job, the better for us. But I think that the, as the abuses of the Bush administration pile up, history will judge him uh, a lot 
less favorably than he imagines. Indeed. I mean, I, here's I love this new myth that they're trying to promote that he's somehow Harry Truman, you know, that he's got some vision of containment. And well, Harry Truman, if you read about his presidency, was a deeply flawed presidency. So maybe there is some degree of uh, comparison there, but uh, he's not the straight-talking guy that uh, Truman was. Uh, and as far as uh, he was elected to keep us safe, uh, this from today's uh, Wall Street Journal, or the weekend edition, rather, of Wall Street Journal uh, for this last weekend, uh, in a hot topic page, How Safe is the Homeland?, on the back of which is their notoriously right-wing uh, op-ed page. Uh, we get this sage wisdom from our president. Again, remembering that we, we all elected him to keep us safe, here's the quote. I don't think we're safe. <laughs> what will really give me confidence to say that we're safe is when I can tell the American people we've got the capacity to know exactly where the enemy is moving. Wow. Okay, well... <laughs> That's that's really a tough call. But uh, if he was elected to make us safe and he has admitted here that he doesn't think we're safe, clearly it's time to step down <laughs> or step off. Yeah. One wonders what is moving in the Bush brain. Um, I have one item here that I read over the holidays that's just too bizarre to even uh, read, but I must read it because it's... So uh, fascinating. Uh, perhaps you'll recall uh, for a long time on PBS there was a, a figure that used to host a sort of a Letters from America show called Alistair Cook. And, of course, he had uh, commentaries on the BBC that long running. Long running. Decades, yeah. Well, in one of the strangest things that I think I've ever read, but uh, not too surprising about American corporate uh, crime, um, is this item. It says that the body of Alistair Cook, the genteel British broadcaster who interpreted the United States for his puzzled countrymen from his home in Manhattan, was surgically plundered last year after his death, his daughter said, and law enforcement officials said yesterday. For months, the office of the district attorney, Charles Haynes, Hines, excuse me, has been investigating accusations of illicit sales of flesh and bone obtained from funeral homes in New York. The investigation centers on a biomedical tissue services of Fort Lee, New Jersey, a company that sold human tissue to processing companies. The tissue processing industry, and I didn't even know who yet, knew <laughs> such a thing, once limited itself to whole organs for transplant, but has evolved quickly as techniques have developed to make use of muscle, bone, tendon, and skin in the therapies and research. Last year, a business dispute involving the sale of a funeral home in Bensonhurst, I think that's in New Jersey, uh, led to accusations against an embalmer, uh, Joseph Nacelli of Staten Island, who had con uh, connections to Michael Mastro Marino, the proprietor of, bi of biomedical tissue services. People identifying themselves as relatives of victim have said paperwork was altered to hide the existence of disease leading to concerns that infected tissue could be implanted in patients. These two companies purchased parts of Mr. Cook's bones, which had been surgically removed from his body before he was cremated. The companies purchased the bone parts after being given paperwork, falsely asserting that Mr. Cook's cause of death 
as a heart attack at the age of 85. Mr. Cook was 95 when he died in March 2004 of lung cancer that had metastasized into his bones. Um, Alistair Cook's family is shocked and saddened by the news following his death that parts of his body were illegally sold for transplant. Well, this is totally bizarre. I mean, <laughs> why would you take the body parts of a 95-year-old man, for God's sakes? And I'm quoting here liberally from an article by Michael Brick, uh, dated the 23rd of December. Uh, this is just so strange. <laughs> strange on a number of levels. I mean, it's mind-boggling. So, the bones of Charlie Chaplin were, of course, kidnapped famously uh, shortly after his death. And, you know, those people were caught and they were just looking for cash. But what this tissue harvesting industry uh, is, I, I, perhaps we're getting a glimpse into the world of Soylent Green. And, of course, they note that it is unclear whether Mr. Cook's bones were implanted into a patient. But, um... geez, what would the point be? <laughs> ah, these bones you gave me, they, they feel kind of old. Kind of old and achy. God, that's sick. I think I have cancer. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brother. Oh, man, that's just too weird. It's too weird. And, of course, uh, Alistair Cook always did look a little bit like a a character out of a late-night horror movie himself, you know, yeah. a little bit. Uh, but an eloquent... Uh, <laughs> Urbane, even. Yeah. Uh, commentator. I definitely heard his... Uh, um, Letter from America. Letter from America. That's what it That's used what to it be called. called yeah. yeah, on the BBC for years, um, and they were 13-minute essays. Um, and he broadcast just uh, to, to, to to honor the man, 2,869 of these essays between 1946 and 2004. Uh, so he was uh, working right up until his <clears throat> untimely death. Um. And as for these people in this business of tissue processing, apparently an industry that operates uh, without much regulation in the uh, <laughs> vicinity of New York City, um, yeah. further investigations, I think, are needed. Indeed. Well, uh, there's a couple of books that uh, I wanted to give a mention to last week. Uh, we've talked, uh, both you and I, on the show about the Tariq Ali's Bush and Babylon book being particularly good for the, I think, uh, the incorporation of uh, Iraqi poets and uh, poetry into the historical narrative and also the insightful footnotes. Uh, another book of his that came out this last year was uh, entitled Speaking of Empire and Resistance, a series of interviews with the uh, very prolific David Barsamian. And uh, this is in the New Press. And I, I really recommend this book because it's uh, an easy read and because uh, Tariq Ali is uh, a native of Pakistan and uh, has followed that country's history closely. Uh, the chapters in this book in particular on Pakistan are uh, very uh, insightful indeed and uh, I think worth following up the Bush in Babylon book with. Yeah, and Pakistan is one of those countries where, if, uh, you know, it probably won't win some award, but I think it's one of the more undercovered uh, media aspects of what's really going on in the world with respect to terrorism and uh, the role of these shadowy Pakistani groups in continuing to promote it. Most experts believe that bin Laden is in Pakistan, up in the mountainous regions of what's known as Waz Waziristan, 
And I think I read just the other day that there's uh, been all sorts of shortcomings uh, closing down the school, uh, the madrasas schools, mm. uh, which interestingly, by the way, there's a little subplot in the uh, recent movie Syriana, which uh, is flawed a little bit as a movie, but it's got a lot of very interesting, um, shall we say, skullduggery regarding American oil um, corporations and what goes on in the Middle East and the role in terrorism and assassination and that sort of thing. So while it is a fictional um, <laughs> approach to uh, what is going on currently today, it, one could easily view the movie as something that is going on today in Dubai or Qatar or even Kuwait. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting movie, uh, well worth seeing. And George Clooney uh, not only is in the movie, but he produced it, and he's done some pretty good work this year uh, with the other uh, movie. Uh, the Edward Night, Murrow film, yeah, right? Yeah, Good Night and Good Luck. So uh, for political thrillers, I think it's uh, pretty good. Just another quick mention, too. I just picked this up today, and it's a massive tome. I haven't even done a quick look at the page count here, but this is a thousand-plus page book. It's the latest by Robert Fisk, entitled The Great War for Civilization, The Conquest of the Middle East. Robert Fisk is one of the best and most knowledgeable English-language writers uh, who's been covering the Middle East since the mid-'70s. He's lived in uh, Beirut. He's uh, traveled the region. He did one of the last interviews with uh, Osama bin Laden. The last interview by an English journalist, yeah, English-speaking journalist. This is a comprehensive book which goes off into all of the – I mean, obviously, it's probably not going to sell very well, being as uh, ponderous and bulky as it is, and the complexity of the uh, geopolitics of the region, uh, the U.S.'s uh, foreign policy missteps and uh, machinations – uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this thing and uh, just wanted to mention that it is out and that Robert Fisk is a journalist whose work is well worth supporting. Indeed. Uh, a couple of uh, <clears throat> items from the most recent Harper's Index, always uh, interesting for succinct statistics. Um, I guess I'll read a couple of these. Number of U.S. prisoners serving life sentences with no parole for crimes they committed while juveniles in the United States, 2,225. Number of prisoners serving such sentences in all other countries worldwide, 12. Uh, Tons of hurricane-related waste still waiting to be hauled away in Louisiana, 22 million. Tons of waste produced by New York City each year, 8.5 million. That gives you an idea wow. of the uh, scope of the cleanup down there in uh, the Gulf uh, the Gulf. Well, I States. was talking to a guy who works uh, for the Coast Guard who's been doing that cleanup work down there for a good couple of months, and uh, his descriptions of just the amounts of oil and oil byproducts that are literally covering everything. I mean, trees covered in oil, acres and acres of stuff just covered in this toxic sludge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, and of course the... The population of New Orleans is estimated right now to be somewhere between 60 and 75,000. Uh, this is a city of about half a million um, just six months ago. And, of course, this is uh, another example of Mr. Bush uh, not keeping America safe, proving that uh, most of the uh, so-called uh, government um, 
undertakings after 9-11 have, well, proven to be uh, in control of political cronies more than competent people as uh, Brownie <laughs> so uh, conspicuously proved. Uh, and then just one other <laughs> interesting item. Percentage approval rating of Bill Clinton the day after impeachment and George W. Bush in November, respectively, 73 for Clinton, 37 for Bush. Maybe Bush needs to be impeached. Maybe his uh, approval ratings will go up. <laughs> oh, those uh, hardcore supporters will rally round. Uh, well, just a quick item here uh, from a brief interview with Jared Diamond, who, of course, is the author most recently of Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed. And he's also the author of the Germs, Guns, and Steel. Yeah, book. and he had a special on PBS this past year, a three-part special that was pr pretty much based on uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel that uh, probably will be replayed at some point on PBS. And I highly recommend it. It's got a lot of interesting uh shall we say, archaeological, uh, anthropological, historical. He's a geographer whose actual specialty, I think, is Papua New Guinea. Hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating uh, analysis of uh, the history of civilization and how certain societies developed as opposed to other societies. And this relates more to climate and the ability of agriculture to flourish in temperate regions based on latitude and, of course, the Fertile Crescent, uh, where the United States finds itself enmeshed, uh, enmeshed um, was actually the, the beginnings of organized agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very fascinating public TV series, and the book, Guns, Germs, and Steels, is highly recommended. Uh, anyway, this uh, brief interview with him, which originally appeared in New Perspectives Quarterly in the spring of 2005, is now reprinted in the uh, year-end issue of Adbusters, a kind of an interesting...